Hey guys, Matt from Back Yourself Fitness here and welcome to a very special episode of the Back Yourself Podcast. Bit of an extended intro there, I will get into that in a second. How are we all doing? Are we doing okay in the current climate of shit that's going on? Um, bit of housekeeping before we start. Uh, first and foremost, Back Yourself Fitness is up and running as normal, baby. So everything's back to normal for us now. Um, we appreciate the support that we've got over the past 10 weeks. Uh, we really, yeah, really appreciate it. Uh, we're back on our feet and we're fighting to get back to where we were. So that's that for us at Back Yourself Fitness. To stay up to date with everything we do, check out our website or any of our social media outlets. Um, before we go any further into the podcast, I would just like to let everyone know that I have updated my little podcast rig here. So if you hear me rattling around with the microphone or anything like that as I'm working through, it's just because I'm not quite used to things yet. So you're going to have to bear with me um, for what it costs. I think it should do the trick, but let's find out together. Hey, um, before we jump into today's episode as well, uh, if you have missed any episodes of the Back Yourself podcast, go back through. Uh, all, they're all there on every podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, Google, all that jazz. Subscribe so you do not miss an episode of the Back Yourself podcast. All right, let's get into today's episode. Now, I'm going to preface a couple of things. So this episode, I'm going to split over a few parts. Okay, so it's probably going to be two or three parts depending on how, how much I ramble on. I'll try and keep the episode short, but it'll be split up over a few weeks. Today's episode um, is a very special one and I guess self-indulgent one for myself and a few people because with everything that's going on, I could have got on the podcast and, you know, shared my thoughts about what's going on or, you know, talk about nutrition or talk about mental health or da 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 What I wanted to do was do something a little bit more lighthearted. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the history, the back catalogue, the ups and downs of a little band called Machinery Hill. Now, um, some of you may know Machinery Hill. Some of you are going, what are you talking about, mate? So Machinery Hill was a band that I used to play in. So I had two sections of my life. I had playing in a band and then I had fitness, or now I have fitness. So I'm going to run you through the 10-year stretch that was Machinery Hill slash our music career. Um, I wanted to do this for a couple of reasons. Like I said, keep things lighthearted. But I think for people who used to come and see us play all the time, you, you never really, we never really had a send-off. Um, so I want to share some information and stories with our loyal fans, things that stuck out for us as the band members. Uh, I want to share these stories so um, people who didn't see us play, people who know me purely from a personal trainer fitness sense, you will um, you'll get an understanding of what life was like for me from age 15 through to 25. Um, but I want to preface preference this again, preface this again by saying that my recollection isn't that great on a few things. So I've, I've made a lot of notes, um, but some are a little bit hazy. So you're going to have to bear with me a little bit here. So um, 
I'm going to share my thoughts on a few things, my feelings about the situation and how everything played out. Some of the things I'm going to talk about, even the band members won't know, or I'm going to share conversations that I had with other band members um, or they had with me. Uh, so, so yeah, let's, uh, let's go for it, hey? Um, I'm going to shed light on what it's like trying to make it as a, in a band in the 2000s and some of the bloody the hijinks we got up to. Um, I spoke to a couple of band members about their memories and stories uh, from their perspective. Obviously, I'm only going to be talking from my perspective. So I've splattered a few of those stories throughout the chat um, and I will make sure I reference who I'm talking about. But for now, if it is an appropriate time, crack a drink. If it's not, crack a drink anyway because it's what we would have done in Machinery Hill when we were running around Brisbane. So here we go. Today's episode is sponsored by Furphy, if anyone is wondering. Okay, here we go. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, I, along with four mates, was in a band called Machinery Hill, rocking around Brisbane. Um, we we're, were about five years we were kicking around, um, in the original scene, that is. Now, I don't want to say that we were like pop rock, but that's essentially what we were. Like we were like pub rock at its finest, especially when you hear our roots and how we got started. Um, probably a good way to describe us is pub rock music. Um, I actually made the call to leave the band in 2013 after working away for 10 years and trying to take over the world as a rock star. Um, was it a tough decision? Yes. Do I have regrets about the decision? Also, yes, but I'll elaborate on that as we go on. So before Machinery Hill, our music careers actually started. Well, a few of us had started before Machinery Hill. So Machinery, let me say again, before Machinery Hill was born, so get an understanding of how it all came together, I've kind of pieced together timelines for the members and just a little rundown of what they did and you know when they came in, when they came out. And also, we're going to have to go down the path of Mr. Internationals. Mr. Internationals, what a name. Uh, that was our cover band name or cover alias, you could say. Uh, we started back in 2003 as a covers band. So we were in year 10 uh, before we head down that eye-opening, uh, beer drinking, country town playing, playing with no pants on, um, getting up to hijinks, getting cut off on stage. Before we head down that road, we'll break down each member's band, uh, each member's timeline and then we will roll on through some funny, funny stories. Okay, so to start things off, we had Lukey Masso who played rhythm guitar for us. Uh, he was in a band called Sue 58 uh, and joined Mr. Internationals after Kino. Uh, so he, he joined after Kino, our lead guitarist, and after Sue 58 broke up. And I think that was 2008. I could be wrong, 2007, 2008. Um, he finished up playing with us in 2011, so two years before the band kind of pulled up stumps. Uh, we had Kino, our lead guitarist. He played in a covers band called The Beam, like Jim Beam, I guess, prior to joining us. He joined us in 20, uh, 2007 or 2008. Uh, he answered our guitarist wanted ad after our original two guitarists left. Um, our original two guitarists, uh, were a mate of ours from school and his older brother. And then as soon as Keno joined, he was part of the fabric. He played the whole way through. Excuse me. He lived and breathed the band. Now, the next three of us, we were day one on, we were the very start 
members. I wasn't quite day one, but these next two guys definitely were. We had Jace, uh, who played drums. He was one of the original three guys. So the original three, I believe, were Jace, our drummer, Scotty, our bass player, and Lockie, our, f- our old guitarist. Um, he played the whole way through from day one. And then after I was gone as well, he played a couple of cover gigs, I believe. Um, yeah, Scotty played bass, same as Jace. He, um, original member, year 10, 2003. And he pulled up stumps not long after or when I did in 2013. And then there's me. So I was the, the singer, the troublemaker. Uh, he started in year 10, um, but the other guys were kind of messing around playing music together uh, before I came into the fold. Uh, so like I said, I pulled the pin in 2013 and drifted around not knowing what to do with my life after that and then started training and seven years later, here we are. So now you kind of get an idea of each member, what we did, and now we get to explain what Mr. Internationals was. So as I mentioned, Mr. Internationals was our cover band uh, that started back at Craigslee State High School. Shout out to any state school kids, but in particular Craigslee, Craigslee kids. I'll have a drink for you. So it was myself, Scotty, Jace, and our old guitarist, Lockie. So like I said, we're in year 10, 2003. And I remember Lockie brought a guitar to school. So this was after those three guys were kind of messing around playing playing songs. He played a song that I knew, and if I remember correctly, I think it was a I think it may have been Better Be Home Soon or something like that by Crowded House. I think I could be completely wrong. I sung it, and the other boys said, "Sweet, we'll see you at the next band practice." And um, that was pretty much how I got in, and that's how I stayed. Uh, Scotty, actually, I was talking to Scotty, and he reminded me of this. So band practice were band practices. The original band practices were at people's houses, residential houses. So we are in residential houses, and we are f- four high school kids who didn't really care, and we were playing music, and we were playing music loud. So the police were called a couple of times because of how loud we were. Um, with the the little kicker on top of that being that we were actually skipping school to practice. So. Uh, when the coppers turned up, that was a fun one to explain. I remember that vividly at Scotty's place um, at McDowell. They turned up and we had to try and explain, first of all, why we were making that noise and then second of all, why why we weren't at school. Um, we got ourselves to a point where we played on the school assembly and I remember we had to audition for the music teacher. Like it was, it was so ridiculous when I think about it. So there was myself and I, I think Scotty and Lockie had to were playing both playing guitar both playing acoustic guitar and we had to sing this song and it was it's a song called Chick Magnet by MXPX so MXPX are a punk band but this is the most poppiest poppiest punk you will ever hear in your life and we played it and she was like hmm play it again oh, fuck. okay so we played it again and she goes okay you can do it so we're, we're, we get to play on the school assembly. We've never played a gig before and now we're fronting up in, in front of the whole school to play this song. So here we are, the assembly, the curtain opens, we're in front of the whole school. The song starts just with bass and drums, yet yeah, sweet, and it comes time for the guitar to kick in and Lockie's guitar isn't working. Awesome. So our first gig... And we're fucking up from the start. 
And it turns out, typical year 10 stuff, he turned his amp off at the wall after we sound checked. So we sound checked, cool, got all the levels, and then he turned it off and went, cool, I'll flick that back on before we start. He just forgot to turn it back on. So we managed to turn like a two-minute 30 song into a four-minute song with that beautiful, beautiful extended intro. But we did it. We got through it. People didn't laugh at us. So who gives a shit? That was our entry into music. That was our first foray into music in front of a crowd, you could say. We forgot to check if everything worked. But we managed to keep pushing on with our musical careers after the first little hiccup. Um, We also played the last assembly, ironically, in year 12, which almost got the formal cancelled because we kind of took over proceedings. So by this point, the final assembly of year 12, we were playing in pubs. So we, I'll talk about this in a second, but we were playing in pubs from 15, 16 years old. So we turn up to the last assembly. Cool, we're going to play a couple of songs. We played Hey Jude, and that was, that was my choice purely because I'm a sucker for old songs. Um, and then we, would, we were meant to play Wonderwall because it was our, our year level song or whatever, like our farewell song or something. So we played Wonderwall and all the year 12s got on stage and the song finished and the energy was up and I remember turning around and looking at Jace, our drummer, and he goes, Angels! And I was like, yep, sweet. And Lockie heard the, heard the call and so did Scotty. So we played the Angels, Am I Ever Going to See Your Face Again? Which is obviously the call and response is, am I ever going to see your face again? No way, get fucked, fuck off. So we sung that and had the whole of year 12 singing that back at us. So we're, we're playing in front of a whole school. So we're playing like on a little, I guess, mezzanine thing. So I stepped up on that and look out just to see the teachers just shooing everyone out of the hall, like, everyone get out, get out now. And I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're in trouble here. And, yeah, sure enough, we almost had the formal cancelled, but thanks to having friends in high places, we managed to talk talk our way out of getting the, the formal cancelled. So, yeah, that was our – we played two or two times, excuse me, in front of the school. Once was our first time, which we – forgot to turn our amps on and the other time was we almost got the formal cancelled so that kind of gives you a gauge of where we were at in high school um outside of school we managed to organize a a a set like a, a trial gig so we had to play an hour an hour worth of cover songs um for this agency to see if they would sign us so they could book cover gigs for us so we played at the tingalpa hotel in oh shit it was either 20 2003 or 2004 and it like it was a complete dive it was like on a thursday night there was no one there except the other band members or whatever and the band before us i vividly remember it was like it was just a guy and a girl and they were just singing to a computer like it was like karaoke and i thought oh shit like we're nothing like that so we had to play 10 to 12 songs um when we played well enough for them to actually give us a chance and sign us. So we were high-fiving and those 10 or some of those 10 songs actually stayed in our set list for the full 10 years that we played. So there are songs that are just like nails down a chalkboard, like things like Wonderwall is a good example or oh, what's another one? Um, like Shit by Fuel or Save Tonight by 
Eagle Eye Cherry. They're just nails down a chalkboard for me because we have played them hundreds and hundreds of times. Ah, getting that furphy in. So let me set the scene. The three other boys are 16. I'm 15 years old and we're getting sent to pubs all up and down the east coast of southeast Queensland and we're going to like country towns like Kingaroy. We went to Biloela. So Biloela is like you go to Gladstone and then you drive an hour and a half inland. Um, if we were lucky enough or if we yeah, if we were lucky enough to not get asked for ID, all bets were off. It was was party time. So think back to when you were like 15 or 16 years old and what you were doing, how you were sneaking around. We were doing that, but we were doing that in pubs. So I was telling people that I was 18 for three years running. So we'd go to school Monday to Friday-ish. We'd all bail on school early um, Friday Arvo so we could actually make it to the gig Friday afternoon. So we'd play gigs Friday and Saturday night. We'd roll into school Monday and we'd tell stories uh, from the weekend to our mates and we'd just share all the like like oh my god you should have seen what happened and we'd just share stories from being in a pub and yeah yeah we're 18 and all this kind of stuff and I remember we went through a phase of sneaking people into our gigs so we just got our mates to come along and bring uh, like carry our equipment in with us and all of a sudden we had mates in the pub and they got to see what was going on so like, there was a couple, there's a couple of country towns that I'm going to talk about um that we snuck a couple of mates into and we got a little bit loose, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, there's a lot I can't talk about, obviously, for legal reasons. No, um, or I shouldn't talk about, I should say. Uh, but I'm going to share a, cu- a couple of quick, or maybe quick, maybe long, let's find out, a couple of stories about playing in a cover band in those early days. So our first cover gig was by ourselves um, in Bundy. So no supports, no nothing. We were, we were the band. We were the band for the night. Uh, we played to one person and it was the first time that we played for four hours. So a four-hour cover gig and we quickly found out that we had strong songs and we had songs that we needed to work on. Uh, our second gig was at the Bean Lee Tavern. Now, I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to go through and list all our gigs. These are just a couple of notable ones. Uh, the second gig we played was at the Bean Lee Tavern. Uh, where towards the back end of the night, a huge, a huge brawl breaks out and security are swinging pool cues and it was mayhem and it, like, it, it's all in. So it's, pretty, it's like Blues Brothers, if you've seen that. So we're kind of just standing there playing the music and everyone is going nuts in this fight. And keep in mind, we are 15 and 16 years old. Um, let's talk a little bit country. Our first gig... Uh, in King Arroy, we turned up to this shitty old pub. The, oh, fuck, what was it called? Uh, like, I think maybe the the Central, maybe, or maybe it was just the King Arroy Hotel. It was something like that. Anyway, we turned up and we introduced introduced ourselves to the publican. We we were young. We looked young looking back at photos. Um, and the publican turns to the security guard that was there, and he goes, "Brad, grab the boys a carton of beer, take them up to their room." And we're like, holy shit, this is the best ever. Like once again, 15 and 16 year old, like 15 and 16 years old. The room is upstairs above the pub. It's like a hotel motel. We're like, holy shit, this is it. They're all bets are off. Let's go. Um, we played many a gigs. 
many a gigs in Kingaroy and we ran amok every single time. Like, <laughs> there, there's a lot. Like, just things. I haven't even got notes written down for this. I'll just rattle it off. We, we stole a tractor. We tried to start a semi trailer. We got led into Eagle Boy's Pizza after hours to make our own pizza and, like, stole all the ingredients to make pizzas the next day hungover, but we just left them out and didn't put them in the fridge. Um, shit, what else happened? Uh, we broke the amp one night, and so we played for 45 minutes and we just ended up sitting up there drinking. Like It, it was, like I said, all bets were off. Uh, we convinced Triple M that we were all tradies so we could play at one of their listener parties. And the, so the listener party was tradie for a lady, um, the catch was we all had to be tradies. Now, I worked in a pub at that point, so I was a glassy. Um, and uh, my trade was being a glazier. I didn't even know what a glazier was. So we went into Triple M Studios, played like three or four songs for their office, and then proceeded to do the most cringe-worthy episode, uh, uh, interview with one of the presenters i just like you know when you think back to shit you did as a teenager and you go oh oh no that is disgusting so the theme was ladies were looking for tradesmen partners and vice versa so all the questions were like what do you look for in a lady etc etc you know um are you single at the moment or all all that kind of crap and we were 17 at this point so you can only imagine the the barnstorming cringeworthy answers we gave it it was disgusting um all right fast forward we're all like 18 19 and we started writing our own songs playing original gigs around the joint but we still had a lot to learn and work out same as covers like there are original gigs where we played to zero people but that's what you got to do you got to hone your skill so we played at caxton seafood fest um in 2007 maybe 2008 maybe uh on that same lineup was a band called su 58 and this is where we crossed paths with lukey our eventual rhythm guitarist for the first time so lukey's band was just as loose as we were so we got on like a house on fire we played at their ep launch they they played at ours and there was another band <coughs> excuse me another band in the mix called uh funky mantis so there's only a select few of pe- few people who will know who funky mantis are um so the joke between the three bands was we'd form a super group called Mr. Funky 58 because we always played the same gig so often. It just turned, we would turn up and we'd be like, hey, what are you doing here? And yeah, that's just how it went. Um, A quick little story from the perspective of a Sue 58 member, so obviously Lukey, we put on a originals gig in Kingaroy because of course we did. By by that point, we could literally do whatever we wanted up in Kingaroy. And Sue 58 played. So we played to zero people. But we began, we began drinking at like 9 a.m.-ish. Come gig time at like 7, 8 o'clock, we were, we, we were ready. And, and the two bands were just trying to amuse each other. There wasn't anyone there. So we were just trying to get a giggle out of it. Fast forward to the end of the night. Mr. I remember walking out of a room and seeing Mr. International's members had convinced the Sue 58 singer to see if he could headbutt through a wall because for, I don't know, reasons. So he, he tried and he, he succeeded, but little did he know there were, the wall was also asbestos and he also hit a stud behind the asbestos. So he supported a pretty sweet face rash for a couple of weeks after that gig. So that, that's the kind of level we're working with. So that, that's how similar the bands are. Uh, we, we ended up recording a four-song EP 
down in Sydney at Daniel Jones from Savage Garden at, at his studio. Now, I'm not glossing over that fact, um, but we do and we do go back down there, so I'll talk about it a bit more there. Uh, not long after doing our EP launch, our original guitarist and his brother, who joined the band, decided to leave. So we had bass, drums, and a singer. There's not much you can do with those three, unless I guess unless you're the White Stripes or Royal Blood or something like that. So we put an ad out to find a new guitarist. Uh, we auditioned a couple of strange fellows, and then in walks Kino. Kino played in a similar cover band um, that had fallen by the wayside. So the songs he knew were very similar to ours, and he just he just fit like a glove. Mr. Internationals was back, baby. We were we were rolling with gigs and we're back into the cover scene. Um, we landed a two-week residency up in Airlie Beach, playing the same pub every night for two weeks. And it was great. But once again, I'm not going to go into too much detail on that one. Um, I actually remember getting a phone call from Lukey because we'd become pretty good mates. And he, he told me that Sue 58 called it quits, which, which was shit because some of their tunes are pretty funky. And... He, he kind of like tongue in cheek said, so is there enough room to join Mr. Eyes, as he called it, as in Mr. Eyes. So I took it to the band and they agreed and we were a five-piece band who had years of cover experience. We'd all done recording of some description and all of us wanted to play our own music. Now, I know Kino was a bit apprehensive about another guitarist joining the band and he, he didn't have, like, I know he didn't, he never said it out loud, but I could just tell, like, Kino had literally just joined the band not too long before and we were already playing gigs and then in comes Lukey who we knew prior and he's another guitarist but we all gelled Lukey was strictly rhythm Kino took all the lead lead parts and it just it just worked it, it just worked um, so where the lineup that took us through basically to the end uh, so I'm going to break it up with songs here and there from the album get on top so I'm going to wedge in a couple of snippets of songs so this song that i'm going to play now i'm not going to play it i'll just play it through the podcast uh the song i'm going to play now is a song called eclipse so i hope you enjoy it
I love that song. That's uh, probably my favourite, I reckon. I go through phases, but in that song, there is there are some key points that I'm very, very proud of. Um, and there's a lot of points where I go, fuck yeah. So I'll talk about that feeling towards the end. Um, all right, back to Mr. Internationals. So we go on from a cover band who pretty much said yes to every gig, whatever, we'll play wherever, who cares. Um, but now we got ourselves to a, a point where we could choose what gigs we wanted to play. So we had a residency at the Jubilee Hotel where we played every Friday and Sunday. Uh, we played college balls, weddings and birthdays. The aim was to reinvest all the money, all of the money that we earned went into equipment, it went into recording, it went into promotion. There, there, was, there was times where I had to be like, hey guys, I'm working at a pub cleaning dirty glasses. Can I have some money please? Um, so most, 90% of the money that the band earned got reinvested because hey, at the end of the day, that's what it was. This was a job. So we had to put money into this motherfucker to make it work. Um, we're investing so much time into the band. It was nice to have money in the pocket to, I guess, show that, well, like I said, because it was work, nice to show that we're actually getting paid for what we did. Uh, both Scotty and Keno actually reminded me of a wedding we played at, out at St. George. St. George is hours away. It was it was hours away, but we were getting paid accordingly. So the, the key with weddings is as soon as someone said wedding to us, we went, cool, let's bump it up by X amount. So we made sure we got paid pretty well, but it's still hours away. Um, we had a band trailer uh, and it, I was in the car with Scotty and we'll pull the trailer along and we felt a massive pull on the back of the trailer. Like, fuck, what's that? And then the, the trailer was like pulling to the side. So we pull over like, holy shit. And then we see our tire just bouncing past us, just down the road. Like, ah, oh, that's not good. Um, it, it was unfixable for five or how many of us? Yeah, there was five of us then. For five city boys, we had no idea what we were doing. Um, we were only about half hour, I think, away from, uh, yeah, half hour away from where we were meant to be. So Scotty actually called, I think it was his sister and her husband who were there. They were the guests that we knew. Um, so they came back with their ute, stacked our gear up, and we drove the rest of the way. So we played the gig, all good. Um, None of us had given any thought to the trailer. We were too busy having fun at the gig and making sure everyone had a good time. Uh, we wake up the next morning because we camped on the property. We played this gig out in a property. So we wake up the next morning. We're all a little bit dusty. And one of the wedding guests had gone, fixed our trailer, hooked it up to his ute and drove it back to us. So we all just like kind of open our eyes and here's our trailer rolling in. We're like, what? How is this? Like country people. As loose, like, as loose as they come. But straight up and down. I'll tell you that for free. Uh, Lukey actually brought up a good point too that I completely neglected to think about, uh, well, at the time and even now until he said it. People were inviting us to share their special days with us, like create atmosphere and keep the party going. So it was up to us to make sure we put on a good show because like, it wasn't about us having fun. It was about making sure that they had fun and that kind of slipped my mind a couple of times. Uh, we were pretty lucky to be involved in those days um, we knew some people. Some people were complete, complete strangers. But we were, we were pretty, pretty lucky to be involved in so many special days or big occasions. We we did help finish the bar tab off a few times. But you know what could we do? It was there. It needed to be finished. Uh, I've purposely glossed over things like the jube and the college ball because oh, 
We will get to them, okay? Uh, so we could play cover gigs in our sleep at this point where we were. Uh, some of the gigs were so boring that we, we just had to make it fun. So how do you make it fun? You add alcohol, my friend. That's what we did. So we once again, we're just 18, just 19, early 20s, whatever. Sometimes the gig came secondary to having a good time. And I'll be the first person to put my hand up and say that sometimes I had a good time more than others. Uh, the other boys didn't have to say anything, but I knew it gave them the shit sometimes. I mean, I, I could keep it together and we put on a good show, but I like, because I didn't drive, so I never had the responsibility of driving the gear. So I was like, oh, sweet, party time. Let's go. Let's have fun. Uh, so I want to take this little opportunity now to, to thank the other four members of Machinery Hill for tolerating me and for always driving me and coming to pick me up. So I will give more thank yous as I go through the podcast, but thanks, lads. Uh, Between the original songs that we brought over from the Mr. International CD that I kind of briefly spoke about and the songs we'd written, some, some good, some not so strong, uh, we had enough gig. We had enough songs to play original gigs, and any chance we got to play original gigs, any time, any day, whatever, any venue, we took it. Um, our first big gig was supporting a band from Melbourne called the Sky Bombers. Uh, they were pop punk ish, but it was a Saturday night, and it was a solid crowd. This was I've kept I've kept dates of little things here, so I'm going to keep dropping dates throughout as well. Uh, it was the 26th of July in 2008 and I still have the door sheet showing how many people actually came through the door for that gig Um, limited edition of course Um, after we played that gig all eyes for us were on originals we needed we needed to separate playing covers and what we'd um, built as a cover band as Mr. Internationals into this original thing that we wanted to start so we all agreed we needed a new name and we had a practice room in West End that we went to and we had a vote. And the reason I remember that is because I pushed hard, hard for the name, hang on, the name Plain Skin Stereo. So if I had got my way, I would be talking about the band called Plain Skin Stereo, I can't even say it, Plain Skin Stereo, which is horrible horrible when like in hindsight it is a horrible name uh, i think kino actually thought of machinery hill and thankfully i was outvoted four to one uh, why machinery hill you ask because it is a brisbane reference it's the hill or the stands that you sit on at the ecca like to watch the fireworks or to watch whatever's going on in the central part of the ecca so it, it seemed pretty fitting we had a new name kino whipped up a, a new logo and we had songs written so now what so okay let, let's record. Okay, cool. That seems like a good plan. In our early early twenties, wisdom we thought it it because we'd done an EP with Mister Internationals. The next obvious step was an album, right? In hindsight, let's be let, like I can say this. In hindsight, it wasn't the wisest thing to do with the amount of money, time, and effort. And also, why didn't we just pick our five, four or five strongest songs and put them on an EP? And we didn't have to do an album, but hindsight's a wonderful thing. Or we were eager, we we're excited. Let's who cares? Let's get in, get it done. Um, we had, well, like I said, we had four or five really strong songs, um, and some that kind of needed to be pulled along a little bit. But we only had a certain amount of songs. It's not like we had thirty or forty songs to choose from. So we just had an album's worth of songs. Realistically, um, there was a good stretch of our lives where we where we lived for the band. Um, 
And I think this time period where we just started recording was like the start of it. So we were working our asses off. We'd work normal jobs. Well, I was in hospitality and the other boys actually worked normal jobs. Um, we'd practice together once a week. Then you play by yourself for however long. We'd play one to two cover gigs a week. We'd try and write new original material. We'd try and learn new cover songs if we needed to. We'd try and book original gigs, promote, save for recording, record, then worry about putting on a performance for the night. So there's a lot more than goes that goes into playing in a band than just, cool, I've got 10 songs. Where do I play them? Uh, we had enough save to record four songs at this point. Uh, and of course, we wanted the best. And we'd been there before. So we jumped on a plane, flew to Sydney to record at a place called Level 7 Studios down in Sydney, like I just said, uh, with Daniel Jones from Savage Garden. And he, man, he's just a dude. Like that's the, that's the thing that jumped, jumped out to me. He was just a regular guy. The first time we went down there with um, Mr. Internationals, we walked in and it's, it's pretty daunting because you see a shelf full of arias. The walls are lined with platinum records from all around the world. And from down the hallway, you hear this, oh, damn it. And he's playing FIFA against one of the other producers. And he's like, oh, hey, boys, how you doing? And then got stuck back into his game of FIFA on PlayStation. It was pretty funny. Like, he's just a regular guy. Um, we thought we'd made it. It's like, well, okay, cool. We're back at Daniel Jones Studio, you know, daddy, da, whatever. So we get to Sydney and the first thing we do, we road test the pubs. The recording process itself I'll touch on in a bit, but it was pretty amazing hearing your song come together piece by piece and layer by layer. We thought we had our, our song perfect and then our producer Jamie, who was just a musical wizard, he was like, hey, why don't you try singing this little bit in this section or playing this little bit? And I just remember, we're just like, holy shit, like that is amazing. How did we not think of that? It, it was just Obviously, doing what he does, it, it, you need to be a wizard, but he was amazing at what he did. Um, all right, let's get fun. Our second last night in Sydney was a massive, massive piss up. We were all pretty intoxicated and somehow we bumped into Australian fast bowler Brett Lee and his brother Shane. So they're both musos and Shane's band was actually playing at a pub we're at. Uh, funnily enough, Brett... Brett Lee and myself had a sing-off to see who could sing the highest. And I don't know, because we were whatever, alcohol, that's why we did it. And then from there on out, he shouted us gin, lime and soda all night. Now, I don't drink gin. And from that moment onwards, I have never drunk gin again. It was the end of me. The next day, I had to record my vocals for the hardest song to sing that we were recording while we were down there. And I slept all day, all day in the studio. I laid on the lounge in the studio and I slept. I got up, I vomited, and I went back to sleep. I did two takes of my vocals, nailed it, went back to sleep. I have no idea, no idea how that happened. Like it shouldn't have, ha I should have been, I should not have been able to do that. But I woke up and I was like, all right, here we go. And two takes later, the vocal track was done. Um, it was, yeah, it was what, like I said, it was a massive night. And if you think back at it, we were drinking with Brett Lee and he was buying us drinks. That's funny as. Um, so we had four songs recorded. Now what? It's back to band life, baby. It's back to work, practice, gig, repeat.
We played a handful of original gigs, mostly mostly to empty venues. Obviously, the cover gigs kept the cash coming in. So we had enough cash saved up at this point to record again. This time we chose Rocking Horse Studios uh, down near Byron. It's a country town in, called Federal uh, in New South Wales. And this was uh, April 2009. Why we chose Rocking Horse, I, I can't remember. Um, but I remember Jamie lived at a country town near there, so it was easier for him to get to than Sydney at this point. But still, I don't know why we went to New South Wales. Who knows? Uh, I forget how, how many songs we recorded there as well. Oh, I'm forgetting a lot of stuff about this. I forget how many, song, song, ugh, how many songs we recorded at Rocking Horse. Um, but by this point, we had two-thirds of an album and we were starting to really come into our stride as a band. We understood the recording process. We understood how to pull off what we did in recording at live shows. Uh, so we were, we were really coming together. Uh, we entered our, when we got back to Brisbane, obviously the, the high kind of wore off. We entered ourselves in a band competition that ran across a few months at the at the Hi-Fi West End in Brisbane. So basically, the rule, the the how it was judged was if you finished top two or three or so, or something like that, you moved into the next round. And I think it was judges and crowd reaction. That's how you got through. And this was our first real big outing as Machinery Hill. So, excuse me, we had to sell tickets. And we had to promote. Keep in mind, this was the pre-Instagram. St- phase and we're not long transferred from myspace to facebook so we were hustling like i was sending out bulk text messages and i still do that now but bulk text messages going who wants to buy tickets like there was none of this instagram posts or anything like that so the first round of the band comp we win we move into the next round we had a great turnout and we got a great response second round same as the first we advanced into the final we played well we had another pretty solid show now, before I go any further, I'm going to have a sip. But I need to I need, I need to have a little sidebar here. So somewhere around this time, we decided to have a proper, proper like promo photo shoot, I guess. We organized to go to an abandoned railway. I forget where it was. We took Scotty's old lounge and we took our photos. Now, going through these, these photos, I remember like, and remembering back, a few things jumped out to me. We actually look like a band when we dress the part. When we play gigs or we have photos and we're all just in jeans and t-shirts. I mean, it was fine for cover material, but for originals, you needed to look like you were the band. Not, I don't want to say command everyone's attention, but you needed to look the part. More importantly, the thing that really, really jumps out to me is our personalities were to have fun, make each other laugh, but literally in every single promo- promotional photo we had done, whether it was for newspapers or music magazines or uh, these promo photos, it'd be like, yeah, fun, 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 fun. And it's like, all right, guys, let's take the photo. And we all did the blue steel, serious, I'm in a band face. Literally every photo, and that, just, that just wasn't who we, who we were. But anyway, got the promo photos done. And I need to have a second sidebar here. So... I need to talk about one of our songs. Uh, it's called Roll Down. So it's probably, well, it is our most well-known song. We did a film clip for it, which I'll touch on. We did a single release for it. Um, the film clip's on YouTube still. So I've mentioned the, our our personalities were to make each other laugh. Uh, we're trying to amuse ourselves, especially like a band practice when we kind of get bored. Um, over time, I started doing dance moves or actions to the words in roll down. So 
it was on what's the best way to describe it probably like shitty sign language so for every word i would do an action for and then i'd try and get a laugh out of someone else and like scotty and i have extremely similar sensitive humor so between us we had like most moves made up then the other boys kind of chuck in their two cents and all of a sudden we have a full song dance that da- like dance moves for every single word of the song and of course i started doing this at gigs and before we knew it we start like when we started doing the dance people would start learning the dance from watching me do it and they would start doing it back to us when we played roll down which is hilarious because i just we just made it up to like have a laugh and here we are on stage and people are doing the dance back to us so before the final round of this band comp we did a um a tutorial video on on how to do the moves so everyone know everyone knew what the moves were and everyone could do the dance with us which would look awesome whenever we played it but especially because of the final like it'd be a packed room and like everyone who knew the dance would do it back with us so it was it was funny i felt i remember feeling funny doing the doing the dance tutorial i'm like this is ridiculous i can't believe we're doing this but it looked awesome yeah, and I'll talk about this in a sec, but the video of the tutorial is still on YouTube if, if you want to sit through a ridiculous video and learn the dance moves to roll down. Um, so let's move into the final round of the band comp. I'll talk about this final round of the band comp and then I'm going to pull up stumps on the Machinery Hill story until the next part. So the final round of the band comp rolls around. We put on drinks before the gig for everyone who bought tickets from us as a little bit of a, a thank you. We had such a loyal group of followers and our, our gigs would not have been anywhere near as fun without them. Uh, a lot of those guys were with us from Mr. Internationals and saw us transform into what we were in Machinery Hill. So it was, they were there for the ride just as much as we were, you know. Um, so through drinks on forum as a like, you know, you buy a ticket, you get to come to the drinks or whatever. We also ran a make a machinery hill shirt comp. So what they had to do was they had to make a machinery hill shirt at home and then get photos with one of the band members. So we had our fans in inverted commas or our friends, family, loyal followers, I guess. They had gone and made their own shirts of our band. So there are some very, very, very limited edition machinery hill t-shirts kicking around somewhere in Brisbane. Um, Back right, to the gig. I believe, this is me, this is my personal opinion. I believe this is one of the best gigs we've ever played outside of our single and album launches. Like it is, we were, we were on, we were fucking on song. And there's a photo or there's, there are photos on the Machinery Hill Facebook. If you want to search Machinery Hill on Facebook um, of the crowd watching us and everyone's kind of like, not like smiling, but kind of standing there, like just taking it all in. And then there's other photos of like watching the crowd, like the photos of the crowd doing the roll down dance and just having the best time watching us play. Like it's ridiculous. I, I fucking love those photos. Look, we didn't win, but Scotty won best player. So that was something, but it was a great gig. And we had complete strangers coming up to us and saying how much they enjoyed our set. That's where I'm going to leave it. So that is part one of the Machinery Hill story in the books. So what have we done so far? We've transitioned from covers into playing our own music. We've just played this band comp. We've recorded a few songs. There is plenty, 
plenty more action to come. All right, stay tuned. Part two will be out soon. Until then, back yourself. <laughs>